welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this July 2017 episode is your genetic genealogy testing strategy. We're going to start off at the Genealogy Insider blog where managing editor Diane Haddad is going to give us the scoop on the latest genealogy news, including news about genetic genealogy. And then in our top tips segment, we're going to discuss triangulating your DNA matches with your DNA guide, Diane Southard. And then in our 101 Best Website segment, Diane's going to stick around to introduce us to the International Society of Genetic Genealogy Wiki website. But if you haven't even had your DNA tested yet, no worries, because in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Carrie Scott's going to be here to give you tips on how to get started in genetic genealogy. And then finally, we'll wrap up this episode over at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who has a terrific resource for us. And she's going to give us the inside scoop on a new DNA book coming out next year. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. There's a lot of news to cover in this episode, and I'm happy to welcome back Diane Haddad. She's the editor of Family Tree Magazine and the author of the Genealogy Insider blog. Hi, Diane. Hello. Hey, before we jump into some genetic genealogy news, which of course fits right in with our episode theme of your genetic genealogy testing strategy, tell us about the news that recently came out of Family Search. Well, this was, um, it was kind of surprising, but also not surprising. One of those things you knew was going to eventually happen, but maybe not expecting it so soon. But FamilySearch has decided to end microfilm distribution to FamilySearch centers as of September 1st. So that means that when we say like, oh, you can rent this microfilm through FamilySearch, you won't be able to do that anymore. They've been working on digitizing all of the microfilms that are uh, part of the Family History Library collection, and they've made a lot of progress. So I think they reached a point where so many of the frequently requested films are digitized, and at the same time, microfilm technology is just getting more expensive to maintain. So they had to say, okay, we're going to focus on digitizing the film, digitizing new records, and not fund this program to send out the films to, um, you know, around the world. Right. So, yeah. It's, um, it's a challenge. And I've been to that yeah. distribution facility and it kind of looks like the inside of Amazon. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's mammoth and it's got all that, you know, equipment. And, um, and I know one of the challenges they have is that I don't think people, I don't think manufacturers are even producing blank microfilm anymore for them to make their copies on. Right. And maintaining all of those machines that people yeah. view the film on. So by 2020, it's the good news. They expect to have the entire collection digitized and available online for free. Um, until then, we have a blog post from June 28th that has tips on what people can do to access microfilms that aren't yet digitized. Um, after August 31st, you can order your films up until August 31st, and then you'll have 90 days from then to view them. 
Exactly. So the post that Diane's talking about is why family search is ending microfilm rental and how to get genealogy records now. So I'll have a link to that in our show notes so that you can uh, go check that out and uh, keep moving along with all the changes. And there's lots of changes. I know in the first half of 2017, there was a lot of genetic genealogy change and news. So let's start off with that long fought battle over genetic health reports. Yes, um, 23andMe initially became known as a company that could analyze your DNA, provide some ancestry information, and then a lot of information about health risks for various conditions. Well, the FDA came in and said, you can't do that because you're giving people this important medical information with not, you know, no involvement from a doctor. So after a lot of negotiation, um, 23andMe applied to have um, specific Condition, specific health condition reports approved by the FDA. So they are now allowed to um, issue reports for 10 genetic health risks. And those include things like late onset Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, celiac, and several others. We have a link to those. And that will allow people to get some health information. And then, of course, um, you should still take that to your doctor and discuss it with them, how you can reduce your risk for um, these various conditions. Right. It, it really uh, has the potential to empower consumers. I know in, in chatting with my physician about this whole health testing thing, he said there's a real divide in the healthcare community about, you know, kind of who's in charge. <laughs> are the doctors in charge or are, is the patient in charge and, and we're a team working together? And so, you know, they're all figuring out this brave new world of genetic right. DNA and, and uh, testing. Uh, now, I know one of the newest players to the genetic genealogy game is, of course, MyHeritage. And not too long ago, they had some news about their testing service too, right? Yeah, MyHeritage has been known for its um, worldwide base of membership. So their family trees tend to um, come from, you know, around the world as opposed to being focused in the United States or North America. So um, their ethnicity estimates for their new DNA test are also kind of worldwide based. Um, they did a study uh, the Founder Populations Project to analyze 5,000 members' DNA results. And these are 5,000 people whose ancestry tends to be in just one specific part of the world. So that allowed them to come up with genetic profiles for these areas. Um, so they can now report on the ethnicity for 42 different types of ethnicity. So that's a bit of a more specific breakdown than you can get through some of the other testing companies. Right. And I noticed uh, in the blog post that you did back in the end of May, when this was first, uh, they announced that they had some new and improved ethnicity estimates. And again, it's always an evolving uh, mm -hmm. arena. They have kind of a neat little video thing that they put together with your results, which I think is a is a cool way to interest non genealogists in sure. kind of interpreting results and seeing the benefit. Yeah. Watch it happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll have links in the show notes to all of this uh, br breaking news, not only genetic, but all types of things that go on in the genealogy blogosphere over at the Genealogy Insider blog. Thank you so much, Diane. We'll talk to you next month. Sounds good. So where do you fit in with your DNA matches? 
triangulating a known relationship with unknown matches can actually reveal the answers. And here today in our top tip segment, Diane Southern is here to tell us how. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. It is so fun to talk to you over at the Family Tree Magazine podcast since we spend so much time together on Genealogy Gems. It is. It's so nice that our worlds overlap so many ways. I know. I love it. And that brings us to a lot of overlapping that goes on in genetic genealogy. How's that for a transition? That's excellent. Yes. Let's talk about triangulation because people who, you know, everybody's getting tested and they're hearing some of these terms swarming around and not knowing what they mean and if it's worth their while. Give us an overview. What in the world is triangulation? Well, first of all, like many new industries, when one word gets used, um, everyone feels like they they want to know what that word means, like triangulation. Unfortunately, there are multiple meanings for this seemingly innocent word. So before we jump too far in, I want to understand or I want everyone to understand how I'm using the word. So a lot of people use the word triangulation to mean that they're finding overlapping sections of DNA, that they're using something we call a chromosome browser to actually view the pieces of DNA that you share with someone else. And they're looking for pieces of DNA that are overlapping or stacked up in that chromosome browser image. Uh, A lot of people use triangulation to say, I have found people that have an overlapping section of DNA. And that's not necessarily how we're using it in this article or in the general vernacular that I use when I talk about using your matches to find your ancestors. So for our purposes, triangulation is just three people getting together to figure out how they're related to each other. Terrific. And that kind of makes sense because the article that Diane is talking about from the July-August 2017 issue of Family Tree Magazine is called Triple Plays. So three items, uh, and you've got like a diagram here in the article. It says, A is you, B is best match, and C is shared match. Okay, lead us through this. All right. So the fantastic news is you only need three people to start with this triangulation process. And the better news is you are one of those people. So already you've got one down, only two to go. That second match or the second part of our triangle is what I consider to be what I call a best match. Now, there are a lot of ways you can find the best match with the popularity of autosomal DNA testing, especially at Ancestry. uh, Over 4 million people have been tested. Um, The chances that you're going to find what I call a best match just on your your right out of the gate are actually pretty good. So a best match would be a second cousin or closer or someone that you know your relationship to. So a lot of people get tested and lo and behold, there's their Aunt Mildred. And who knew that Aunt Mildred was into this stuff? And so it's kind of exciting to see somebody that you recognize right away. Wow, this DNA stuff really works because it says that Aunt Mildred is my aunt. That's very convenient. So a best match really comes down to just someone that you can prove your relationship to uh, using traditional genealogy methods. So that's your best match. Very cool. And and it is. It's kind of reassuring when you see that it's accurate, that it's really giving you people that you know you're related to, and that gives you more confidence to move forward into those other folks that you don't yet know how you're related to. Exactly. So don't ever lose that magic, that excitement, that it wasn't your genealogy that said this was your Aunt Mildred. It was your DNA. 
that that's it. It was the amount of DNA that you share with Aunt Mildred that told this testing company who doesn't know you, they don't know Aunt Mildred, they didn't look at your pedigree, they didn't look at Aunt Mildred's pedigree. All they looked at was your DNA and they're able to tell you unequivocally, this person is your close relative. You mentioned the Chrome browser. Touch back on that again, because that may be also a new tool and a new phrase that people haven't become familiar with yet. Right. So the chromosome browser is a tool that's not available at Ancestry, but it is available at Family Tree DNA. And as a reminder, or for those of you who don't know, if you have tested at Ancestry, you can actually transfer your results into Family Tree DNA for free. So if you would like to try out a chromosome browser, you'd like to see what pieces of DNA you're sharing with your matches, you can transfer your DNA, just the raw data it's called, into Family Tree DNA and use the tools there. There's a small fee. I think it's $19 if you want to use the chromosome browser. But for free, you can see all of your matches there and connect with them there and, and you know explore their match list. But I think that tool, if you do want to explore, is $19. Now, for free, you could also transfer somewhere we call GEDmatch, which is a third-party tool, meaning that they're not a testing company, but they do accept test results from any company. And they also have a chromosome browser, though admittedly, it's way more complicated to look at than the one at Family Tree DNA. So if you're kind of new to this, don't don't worry about GEDmatch. Go ahead and transfer into Family Tree DNA. And I think it's worth the $19 fee if you want to take a look at that chromosome browser and see what that's all about. And it kind of literally is what it says it is, which is you're browsing, you're looking at individual pieces, chromosomes. And so this is a visualization of your results, right? Exactly. Yes. Very cool. Uh, And in the article, you give a couple of case studies. And I think that's always the best way to learn something like this when you can see it in action. And all of that, of course, is in this article. It's called Triple Plays. And it's by our own DNA guide here, Diane Southard. And you can find Diane at yourdnaguide.com. Thank you so much, Diane. I'm looking forward to reading the article and getting more in depth and trying my own hand at triangulation. Well, you're going to love it because what it does is it makes your family history come to life. And that's what this is all about. It's about taking those unknown DNA matches on your match list and using your best match. You're able to find those new shared matches that help you uh, work together to figure out exactly how we do this whole family history thing. Very cool. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Lisa. Well, here in our 101 Best Websites list segment, um, I've invited Diane Southerd to hold over from our last segment and talk with us in this one, because we're still on our genetic genealogy kick, and we're talking about one of the websites that made the 101 Best Websites list, and that is the ISOG Wiki. And I knew that Diane would be the person to talk to about it. Hey, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for asking me back. Yes. Well, I know that you have mentioned uh, the merits of the ISOG Wiki to me before, and I'd love to have you give our listeners an overview of what this is and why they should check it out. All right. 
So the ISOG, first of all, is the International Society of Genetic Genealogy. So this was one of the initial efforts for us as a community to gather together and try to give people some unbiased information. Because as most of you know, you ask a testing company which test you should take and they say theirs, of course. Yeah, makes sense. Right. So um, there was definitely a need for one, a centralized location to gather information about DNA testing and genealogy. And then over the years, as it has evolved, it has become a wealth of information, just an incredible resource for anyone trying to then understand and make sense of their of their DNA testing experience. So you can look at the ISOG wiki this way. You can think of it like if you have hours to spend getting lost on the internet learning about genetic genealogy, this is where you should come. <laughs> well, we're already doing that. We're already spending hours getting lost. Um, well, this is great. If, if you really want to dig in, then this is the place to go. It, it, a wiki is kind of like an encyclopedia of a topic, correct? Exactly. And it's very important to remember that information in a wiki can be posted by anyone. So. Right. That's the other, that's kind of the flip side of having all of this information is that none of it really has been checked or approved and said, yeah, this is, this is awesome. Now there are administrators to this page who certainly try to keep up and try to make sure that what's out here is accurate and up to date. But as you can imagine, that's an incredible task to try to overcome. So I would wager that most of the information here is exactly correct and information that you can use. But just keep in mind while you're reading it, this is not something that's been written by experts or or um, people who've been certified in some way to talk about these things. And that's true for genetic genealogy in general. There isn't any kind of certification. There isn't some kind of course you can take that someone puts their stamp of approval on you and says, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. And that's really unfortunate because you can't really be sure who to listen to. But I feel like this ISOG wiki is a great place to come. It has a lot of very good information. A lot of very talented and very knowledgeable people have posted here. And I think it is well maintained. So if you're looking for some place to come and information to trust, I think this is a great resource. Well, it's kind of still the Wild West of genetic genealogy. And so it, it makes sense that, you know, not all the ducks are in a row. It hasn't been established for decades and decades. But I kind of like the idea of crowdsourcing information because we, I think the community kind of keeps itself accountable to each other. And I don't think anybody for very long would get away with putting something completely erroneous on this website without other people going, no, that's not going to fly, right? Exactly, exactly. And some of my favorite resources are here that I still look at myself. Um, for example, the autosomal DNA testing comparison chart is excellent. And it really takes you through each company and a myriad of, of factors that you should consider when choosing a testing company. And it kind of takes you through each one. So you can see right there, oh, well, then this company is doing this and that company is doing that. It, it's just so insightful to see it all on a table. I really like tables. Yes. It's all right there for you. I love being able to visualize and I see we've got a search engine here, there's a navigation and some quick links, um, and even a toolbox. So you can print stuff that you find or uh, follow links to other sources, right? Yeah, it's like I said, never ending hours <laughs> of your life on the internet. Well, it's nice to have one place to go and, and you'll find this at isogg.org slash wiki. And we will have a link to it in the show notes. Hey, thank you, Diane. I knew you'd be the person to come to on this. Of course. Thanks for asking me.
Well, in this episode that's devoted to your genetic genealogy, we're going to talk in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment about getting started. And the best place to do that, of course, is the Genetic Genealogy 101 course with Carrie Scott. And Carrie is with me today. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Lisa. Uh, this course is a great place for people to start. And I'd love to know, what do you say to somebody who comes to you and, and they say, Carrie, I want to get started testing my DNA? Where should I start? What do you say? Um, well, of course, this course is actually a great place to start. And I think the reason for that is we've all had this experience where we we do the test and the test is the easy part. You spit into a tube or you swab your cheek. That's easy. What to do next is where where it gets really difficult. And I think a lot of us get our test results back and are completely overwhelmed because you get these ethnicity reports, which may or may not really make sense based on what you know about your family. You get this list of thousands of cousins, most of whom you've never heard of, and that's it. And you don't know where to start. So a course like this is great because it's four weeks long. We go through step by step and you can ask questions along the way. A lot of people try and tackle this all by themselves, um, but this stuff is really hard. Other parts of genealogy are easier to learn on your own, but genetic genealogy is a real challenge. So having that help and someone to kind of hold your hand through it um, can make a big difference and can really help you get the most out of the money you've spent on your test. And, you know, speaking about beginners, there may be people who are listening to this show who just found it in iTunes and they thought, huh, okay, well, family history. Yeah, I got a DNA test done. So what, there's something more to this? There's a lot of people <laughs> coming to family to family history via DNA who, when they first take that DNA test, wow, they don't even think about what else you can do beyond that. So it might be surprising to them to hear you say, yeah, you get your ethnicity pie chart. Because that's they're, what they're looking for. But they right. don't even realize there's this whole cousin matching thing. Right. And I would plead with those people, come back. Yes. There's so much more <laughs> for you. It's like going to, to a buffet and just grabbing a roll and leaving. No, the good stuff is still here for you. Um, when you do these, and a lot, you're right, so many people, probably even the majority of people these days, mm -hmm. are coming to these tests through ethnicity testing. And they're looking for that. And they get their pie chart. And they may not even click through to the cousin part. Right. But, but what you're getting with these tests is a list of people who are genetic cousins, meaning they are definitely related to you because your DNA matches. Those people, many of them are genealogists, and, and I can tell you from my day-to-day -day work, a lot of them are adoptees or people with unknown parentage. So they're looking to hear from you. They're looking to get in touch with you. And it's such an incredible experience to meet either online or even in person these people who are descendants of the same third great grandparents as you and find out that they look like you or they have a family Bible you didn't know about or they know the story of why these people came to America in the first place. There's so much there. There's so much rich family history that you're really missing out on if you stop with just the ethnicity testing. Exactly. And I, I think sometimes they wonder, well, well, why would I get in touch with these people? But it's it is that connection. It's connecting the dots that says each family, as we come down these different lines, we end up with different photos and different stories. Yep. And But we're all talking about the same family. And how cool would it be to make those connections and kind of fill in those gaps? Let's kind of go back prior to. Now, you said the easy part was the testing part. Right. But there are a few decisions that people need to make 
in order to make sure they do the right kind of testing. So while we know that, you know, with all of the television advertising for DNA, all, you know, the bulk of people are coming through ancestry DNA, but that's not their only option. So when somebody says, Carrie, I want to test, how do you coach them to pick the right test, the right company, the right person to test? Right. Um, my first question is usually what what are you looking to achieve with this? If you're a traditional genealogist and you're looking to build out your family tree, Ancestry DNA is definitely your best choice. It's huge. It's growing so fast. I can't keep up with it. It's it's a really great option for finding cousin connections and figuring out how they fit into your family tree. But that's not the only reason that people come to this. If you're looking for health information, for example, 23andMe is a good choice. They offer... Um, a list of cousin matches and an ethnicity breakdown like the others do, but they also offer information on your health, including things that you might be at risk for and things that are just interesting, like if you have a genetic predisposition to straight hair or um, those people who blush when they drink alcohol, yeah. there's a gene. There's a gene for that. I mm-hmm. who knew it's it's not my fault. It's genetics that make me that way. So. Um, 23andMe is a good choice for that. Family Tree DNA offers options that the the other two big ones don't, and that's mitochondrial DNA testing, which is your mother's 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 line going back thousands of years, and Y DNA testing, which is your father's 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 line going back thousands of years. And there are even groups that you can join. Um, depending on your surname or your ethnicity or where you live, that specifically relate, especially to why DNA testing. Here, I live in New Mexico, which is a state where a lot of people have roots going back 400 years, back to the Spanish conquistadors that came here. There are, I think it's 15 families um, that are the original uh, New Mexicans, who, aside from the Native Americans, and we have a very robust Y DNA group here in New Mexico, run by the New Mexico Genealogical Society, and even people who aren't into genealogy get involved in that group and offer their DNA so that the the New Mexico people with New Mexico roots can figure out which of those original fifteen families they come from. And we're talking late 1400s, early 1500s here. It's amazing to have access to information going that far back. DNA really offers that, and that's through Family Tree DNA. So each of these sites offers different things depending on what you're trying to achieve. And there, you've really summed it up, which is it's very parallel to the work that we do as a genealogist. It always starts with that research question. And it, it, yes. if you formulate that, you you really get a much better process because now it can direct you. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. we ourselves are not the person to take the test for the answer we're trying to get to. It may be that it's our brother or our father or our mother or whoever. So lots of different options. Tell us uh, kind of in a nutshell, what are they going to learn if they take this genetic genealogy 101 course? And can the complete novice take it? The complete novice can take it. If you're intimidated by this, don't be, because the whole reason for taking a course like this is that you have an instructor, me. I love walking people through this. I I do this because I really genuinely enjoy it. So if you're not sure if you're there yet, it's okay, because if you get stuck, I will help you and walk you through it. That's part of the, the beauty of taking an instructor-led course. Um 
the 101 course covers all of the major types of DNA testing that we use in genealogy. So that'll be mitochondrial or mtDNA, which again is your maternal line. We go over Y-DNA, and, which again is your paternal line and, and why you might use that and how you can interpret results and stuff. And then we have two lessons or two weeks devoted to autosomal DNA, which covers both sides of your family tree and is the one used most commonly by most genealogists. So we go over what it is, how do you use it, how do you reconcile this with what you get back because you might have a genealogical family tree versus a genetic family tree. In other words, the people who raised various ancestors of yours may not be their genetic relatives, but they're still family. Mm -hmm. um, so we go through some of the things that you, you'll encounter with that and how to make use of it. And then we talk about creating a research plan. So you can kind of figure out how do I incorporate this into my genealogical work and actually make it useful. Very cool. And you do offer a 201 course, so if they really kind of yes. climb onto this, they can take it to the next level. Yes, the 201 course um, covers more in-depth how to use third-party tools, how to really apply this. In the 201 course, I find that we get a lot of students who have an unknown parentage case somewhere mm -hmm. in their family tree. And so we end up talking a lot about, okay, what do I do if I don't know who my grandfather was or even my father? Or my great-grandmother was adopted. How do I, you know, I'm getting these DNA results. How do I figure out which ones might be that one? There are ways to solve those, and we can do that. And the, the 201 course helps, gives you some of the tools that can help you solve those mysteries. Well, if you want Carrie to help you, walk you through the process and really get you up to speed on how to get the most out of that money that you invest in the researching uh, and the testing, this is the way to do it. So it's the Genetic Genealogy 101 of the 201 courses. They're over at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. And we'll have a link to the specific web uh, pages for those courses so that you can sign up and get involved. Always fun to talk to you, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Genetic Genealogy episode. Thank you. All right, well, it's time to wrap up this episode devoted to your genetic genealogy and testing strategies. And we'll do that over at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Gosh, it's been a fascinating episode. We've talked to a lot of experts and I'm interested to get your take on this whole DNA thing. Well, I think the DNA is one of the most exciting things happening in genealogy. It's just opening up so many doors that, you know, were not previously available to people in terms of uncovering their ancestry. And for that reason, we recently published a book that I'd like to tell you about. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's called The Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy. Very <laughs> obvious what it's about. <laughs> It's um, really intended to be a one-stop guide to all you need to know when you're getting DNA testing done, not just for yourself, but also for um, your relatives. Because in this episode, of course, we've been talking about a testing strategy. And part of that strategy is picking who's the right person to test to solve a particular genealogical problem and which is the right test to take for solving a particular genealogical problem. And this book has an entire section on how to select the right test and the right people to take the test. 
And that's such a key thing, because if you don't get the right person and the right test, and even with the right company, you're starting the whole process kind of off the mark. And this is by the the wonderful Blaine Bettinger, who we've had here on the show in the past. And he really kind of makes this all very understandable, particularly for the non-scientific person. Yeah, that's one of the best features of this book is we have tried our best to approach it in a way that is accessible to the layperson. You don't need a biology degree or a ton of technical knowledge to understand it. It's also got um, lots of color illustrations. And that's not something that's always really a feature of our books. But in this particular topic, being able to show the nuances in color was really important to understanding the concepts. And so we've got that all covered here. I think it's really great at walking step by step how the different tests work and how to choose which one is right for you. There's even a chapter for adoptees um, and how they have some extra challenges and complications to their research and use of DNA testing. Exactly. That's that's a whole nother area, right? Because there's a lot of things that may apply to somebody doing their own genetic research in their family tree where there is no adoption. And then somebody who has adoption, they, they kind of, you know, go off in different directions. I assume that this is becoming more and more of a hot topic. It really is. I follow some groups on Facebook. And of course, you're seeing these stories on the news a lot. Yeah. Um, adoptees reuniting with their birth families. There's the whole TV show on TLC, Long Lost Family, that goes into this topic. And with that growing interest, we're actually planning to publish a book next year in 2018 that will be specifically for that population. So it'll be like a companion or a a second volume two to the Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy a follow-up by a different author who actually has experienced some of these complications herself firsthand, and it'll be called Lost and Found, and it will be a guide specifically for adoptees and people of, with unknown parentage. And that could also include in your family tree, if you maybe it's not yourself, but if you're dealing with a cousin or an ancestor a couple generations back who you realize is not part of that genetic ancestry and need to unravel that puzzle, this book will provide solutions for you specifically. Right. When you go throughout your tree, you find that almost every family at some point has been touched by adoption. How terrific to have a guide to take us through that as well. So what she's been talking about here is the Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy. That's by Blaine Bettinger. And that's fabulous. That's already out. And you can get your hands on that. We'll have a link in the show notes. And then of course, we'll look forward, gosh, Allison, to that upcoming book, Lost and Found for Adoptees. Sounds fantastic. We're excited to bring it to market. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this July 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You'll find information about all the things that we talked about today, including links to the various websites over at the podcast show notes page. You can find that at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. 
Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. And we do have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 